Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn around and tell your neighbor there's nothing back there for you. Tell somebody behind you there's nothing back there for you. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine not too long ago, uh, some of the older friends that I have that, that I met uh, in my walk with the Lord for the past 40 years now. And I recently uh, spoke to a friend of mine probably about, I don't know, a month and a half ago, whatever, uh, who at one time uh, been walking with the Lord. And uh, uh, for whatever reason, I, I did ask him what was it because his first confession to me was that he was not walking with God anymore. He was out of the circuit, if you will, as someone would call it, or out of the realm, out of the flock, whatever. But he was telling me, sadly, he goes, you know, Israel, he said, uh, not anymore, man. I said, really? And this guy used to be on fire for God. What we call on fire, you know, he was enthusiastic. He was self-driven in Jesus. He, he worshiped. He loved the Lord. But all of a sudden, in talking to him, and I ran across him as I was making some buys here at the store. Uh, he told me, no. And so uh, I wanted to pry. I wanted to find out what happened. Maybe I could help him. What discouraged you? What happened, man? I, I mean, you are on fire. I, I know you for a long time. And, and I saw you do some serious damage to the principalities of darkness. I mean, you, there was nothing to hold you back. And as big as you are, both physically and, and spiritually, you're a giant. And, of course, he opened his heart and... And he told me, and some of the things were things that were caused by his surroundings and politics in the church and things like that that are ugly in the church at times. You know, there are ugly things in the church sometimes. Sometimes there are ugly people in the church. No? Some of you don't want to nod your head, but you're agreeing because you've met some of those. And so it's a difficult to walk with God to say, oh, God spoils me. It's baloney. It's a serious walk. You have to be serious about your walk with God. Why? Because in your walk with God, you will encounter a conflict and you'll encounter things that come against that walk with God. Come on, somebody. Somebody say amen. amen. That's what it is. This is what keeps you saying, I'm glad that the Lord has helped me up to now. Why? Because you face, you've pressed on. Like Paul said, I, I press toward the goal. Why? Sometimes those pressings are against others. And so he shared with me. That's not the subject of my message this morning, but he shared with me that these were some of the reasons, and others were self-inflicted. And those is what I cared about. You can't ever help the fact that we have bad situations and bad people around us. We're always going to find that. Anywhere you go, ah, ah, this church, go to another church and they're waiting for you. Yes? Yes. Say yes. Um, ah, they're ugly here. Well, go to another church. They're waiting for you. That giant is going to wait. They're going to chase you out of town. It's just that way. So you need to learn to mature and grow. So we'll never be able to, to help that. Because you can't control anybody. People are going to respond in their walk with God the way they want. But you can control and are supposed to control what goes on with you. At the end of the ages, when your time comes to face the Lord, you'll never be able to say what Adam did, she told me. It's always going to be a one-on-one -on -one thing. It's you and me, friend. Oh, but Pastor Soto, he, he, he said things. Really? Oh, my. Well, is that my, my wife or my husband or my, my kids or my dad? My, never. I can see Jesus going. Mm. <laughs> or some of the kids today say this. Talk to the hand. I've heard them all. And so you may not be able to ever control anybody around you, but you should be able to control what goes on in your life. And this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. 
Tell somebody again, there's nothing back there for you. As I spoke uh, to my friend, uh, it made me think of a particular couple. Mr. and Mrs. Lot in Scripture. Some of you have heard about them. Some of you may not know a thing about them. I encourage you to read the Word of God and learn about them. But if you know anything about the life, now I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of the event that I want to talk about in their life. But first, let's read a couple of passages. First, out of Genesis 19 and 26 reads as follows. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now go a few thousand years forward and go to Luke chapter 17, verse 30. Now this is Jesus speaking. He said, it will be just like the day, uh, it will be like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Tell somebody there's nothing back there for you. And then he says these tremendously power and pointed words. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Put your hand over your heart. Father, speak to my heart today in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I spoke to my friend, this is who I saw. I saw a pillar of salt standing in front of me. Someone who resembled life but was dead. Someone who had the form of a man but actually was just a pillar of stone and salt. The story of Lot and Mrs. Lot, we come to meet them in the city of Sodom. And those of you, again, who have read the story, you'll know, just to paraphrase quickly for the sake of time, Sodom was a place that at one moment in time began to lose track of their relationship with God so much that disregarded the effect of sin Somewhere a disease began in that city that no one paid attention to. And after a few years, that whole city was corrupt and they had left God. Well, moving forward, we have the Lord who has ears to hear, eyes to see. He heard, just like he did from Mount Sinai when they were building a calf, he heard what seemed a spiritual celebration, but it wasn't a spiritual celebration unto God. So he heard the sin of Sodom. And he sent his crew along with himself to go to Sodom, obviously to do a work that was not going to be beneficial at all to that place or people. He sent his angels to destroy it. And on their travels towards Sodom, he found the tent of Abraham, who was living there along with his precious wife, Sarah. And as they walked in, they met with him just to say hi a little bit. And you may not know the whole discourse, and I don't have time to explain. Like I said, read your Bible. <laughs> but they told ultimately Abraham, what they were going to do. And Abraham had interest in Sodom because he had a nephew there. His nephew Lot lived in the midst of that mess. And he said, Lord, you're going to go really flatten it out? Absolutely. But hey, my nephew, my blood is there. And he began to a roundabout way. He said, Lord, what, for 50 righteous, would you change it? How about for 10? How about for one? In other words, he wanted to plead for the life of his nephew. And because Abraham was a friend of God and they knew each other well, he decided, maybe reluctantly or not, but to give the seed of Abraham, his nephew, an opportunity to escape from that forbidden city. And so now moving fast forward, the angels go and leave uh, Abraham's house. They go to Sodom and they find 
that address where Lot lives, and they knock on his door. And Mr. Lot comes out, and he says, hey, man, can we talk to you a little bit? What's going on? He said, listen, we come here in the name of the Lord. You better get your stuff, get your wife, your kids, pack it up, because in a little while, this thing's going to fry. Now, what was Lot thinking at that moment? Uh, I think that there was certain doubt in him that that message was true because of what happened. The Bible said that they told him that, and somehow reluctantly, uh, uh, Lot said, like, like, for real? And they saw his attitude so much that what they had to do was take Lot by the hand and pull him out of his house. Basically saying, listen to me. I don't mess around. I'm not like your neighbors. I'm not here. I'm not the mailman. I'm not UPS. I'm here as an angel of the Lord to speak you truth. And you listen to what I'm saying. You're going to die unless you make it out of this place at my command. And so there you go, the angels dragging Lot and his family out of the city. He said, I want you to run to this particular place, to the hill of the Lord. Now here we notice the reluctance, why Lot really didn't want to go anywhere. He was surprised of the message. He didn't think it was possible that, that, uh, that he would get this news of a city he was living in for years. He knew everybody. He said, go all the way to mission. That's where you're going to be saved. He goes, hey, listen, uh, you know, where road is a lot closer, man? Can I not just run to that city and still I'll be safe? Now I'm thinking to myself, why would he say that? Other than he himself is bound to where he was living and how he was living his life. He had somehow accommodated all this sin in his life that it was hard for him to really disconnect by distance. He knew that if he went all the way to the hill of the Lord, everything was going to cut off. Maybe I can just keep a little bit. Isn't it like Christians? Isn't it like Christians? Isn't it just like you and me? And God says, listen, you need to get rid of this. Well, yeah, but maybe this is not so bad. You know, you're smoking, you need to stop smoking, but maybe I can vapor smoke. Uh, drinking is not a good thing to drink. Maybe I can drink non-alcoholic, I can drink virgin uh, uh, strawberry daiquiris. You see, the inability, the unwillingness to disconnect. God is telling you, get out of that junk completely. And you say, uh, uh, always an excuse. And so we see that the Lot family was kind of reluctant, and, but still reluctantly and in a way the angel, I'm sure, with some degree of reservation, he, he granted the request. He said, go ahead, because he knew he'd pay later. But go ahead. I got to do what the Lord told me. Get out, and I got you out. That's my commitment to him. And off they go. Now, I want to borrow your imagination just for a moment. I want you to see this family running through hills and deserts and trailways. and Maybe still in their hearts not believing what was happening until they felt the floor shake. And they heard something and tempted to look back. What was that? When the Lord picked up his foot to step on Sodom. They felt the rumble, and it shook their teeth. Oh, keep going. And their temptation to look back. And Mr. Lot in front yells at everybody, don't look back. There's nothing back there for you. Honey. 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 And he stops. Honey. Kids. Yeah, Dad, keep going. Mom. There was silence and the rubbing of the city you could hear. And I want you to imagine Mr. Lot walking back down the same trail he had just run, looking at the steps he took, the same trailway narrow for the family to go, and all of a sudden, He feels something. He goes, this wasn't on the roadway that I 
just passed by. Mom. He begins to feel a face. Wanting to look back, he doesn't. He has no choice but to leave and to go. Behind him was a woman that was once alive. Was a woman that had the same opportunity to get out of the city. But to Mrs. Lot that day, leaving behind what God ordered her to get out of was too tempting. She had to look back. She had to go back. Maybe she left her jewelry there. Maybe she left good friends there. Maybe she left something that when she heard the rumbling, she goes, it's destroyed. And she died. Mr. Lot continues to scream, keep going, keep going, until they got to their city of refuge. What makes an individual fall away like that, ladies and gentlemen? For Mrs. Lot, she was nothing but a lifeless face, registering a look of terror. For Mrs. Lot, she was frozen in a frightening and shocking gaze as she looked back at what happened to the city of Sodom. All because she turned back to look at the city she could not disconnect from and stopped loving. Now we move 2,000 years, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years forward. And we find Jesus admonishing a group of people, the church. And in his speech to them, he begins to tell them how important it is to keep your eye on heaven. How important it is for you to keep your eyes on the Lord. And if he, he couldn't express it any way better except to say the words in his closing argument, he said, listen, if anything... Remember Lot's wife. If anything, I have to say to you today, remember Lot's wife. He didn't go into detail. All these people knew the story. They knew what happened to those who turned around. They knew who happened who embraced sin and couldn't get away from it. They, he knew, they knew, they all knew. So he said, just simply use your mind and remember this woman she reversed her direction. She refused the plan of escape. She renounced all the good fortune of heaven. All because she thought she had something back there. Instead of keeping her eyes forward to the promised security that awaited her, she looked back and forfeited her salvation. Now, you have time for this. You have time for this. You know, this Asian story I just gave you many, many years ago is a very modern gospel today. Very modern. Still today we have the same story being repeated. God sending his angels ministers, evangelists, missionaries, people of all walks filled with the Spirit of the Lord, work doing the work of angels to speak into the lives of those who are caught up in the world, a realm of sin. And giving them the warning of the Lord to say, the Lord wants you out of this stuff. The Lord wants you to get away. Jesus is still doing his best to rescue humanity. He's still calling people out of their doomed cities, doomed lifestyles, and doomed destinies. His message is clear. Yet the response of Mrs. Lot is ever so prevalent even in the church today 
I've proven that to you. I just talked to a man who was a pillar of salt. But he was just like you and I, alive and breathing. But now he was lifeless in his heart. He had no Jesus. What is it that made Mrs. Lott look back? Can I give you just a few things you may want to write down? I have isolated just a couple of answers from these passages I'm going to read from you this morning and give you just a few things that I believe may have caused Mrs. Lott to lose her life and what will cause you and I to lose our life unless we turn around and seek God. The first thing that will turn you into a pillar of salt is your lack of attention. Your lack of attention. Tell your neighbor, pay attention. If he looks sleepy-eyed, nudge him. Wake up, pay attention. Hebrews 2 and 1 says, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Now, concerning Mrs. Lot, we know she didn't have a lot of time to make up her mind or watch the signs of this coming destruction. For her, it was almost a spontaneous response that was needed. It was sudden death for her if she not responded. But she didn't have any time. But ladies and gentlemen, surprise, you do. You do have time to make your decision. Maybe for her. Maybe for the penitent thief hanging next to Christ, didn't have an opportunity to go through all uh, the, the protocol of being a Christian and getting baptized. As many argue, well, he didn't get baptized, and oh, he wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit, and all these arguments that people just bring up. But that was an instant moment. That may teach us that if your heart is sincere at that moment when you're facing eternity, God is merciful and will save you. Praise the Lord for his mercy. She didn't have any time. Neither did the penitent thief have time. But you have time. You still have the opportunity to turn to God or to regress from your walk. You have been given the blessedness of walking one more day with the Lord. An opportunity to get closer to him. And yes, you have the opportunity to turn around and look back. Fact of the matter is that every single one of us in this place are doing one or the other this morning. You're walking forward or you're moonwalking back. Hey, it's from glory to glory or it's not. You're either moving forward. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, my friend, if you find yourself in the same position with Christ today, you've backslidden that you were yesterday. If you're the same today as you were yesterday, you've backslidden. Why? Because our walk is always progressive. You're always growing in the Lord. You're always being learned something. You're always being taught. It's, you're always getting closer to the Lord or you're getting further from God. And what will the, the determining fact to either you regressing or progressing is whether you are a paying attention. Paying attention to the signs. Paying attention to the word. Paying attention to what God wants in your life. The Hebrew writers say we must play, pay closer attention to what we have heard. We must pay closer attention to what you're being told concerning heaven and concerning a damning hell. That is the factor. It's an attention span factor. Continues to mention to what we have heard. I guess to pay attention is one thing and the next thing is to what you are paying attention to. Romans 10 and 17 says, the Bible speaking to us says that it is in the hearing the word of God that faith comes. It's hearing the will of God. It's hearing his word. There's a lot of noise. There's, the word of God isn't the only thing you hear in this world. Amen? 
Come on. You work anywhere? You don't hear Jesus all day. You turn the radio on? You don't hear Jesus all day. You see the TV on? You don't hear Jesus all day. There are a lot of things you're hearing. But what God wants to know is what you're paying attention to. And that calls us to something else. It calls us that there, it, it speaks to us in being careful with our ears. What you're allowing to feed into your heart, into your soul. The neglect of the proper use of your ears today has never been so important as ever, ladies and gentlemen. This is why so many people are confused concerning God. So many people are confused with all these new wave and new things going on in this world. Oh, that's right. Everybody is now on a hearsay basis. Well, somewhere it says someone said this, someone said the other. What are you paying attention to? There are people in the church who are beautifully sit, loving God, and all of a sudden they lend the ear to negativity, and there they go. Who is there to blame for that? You. Not me. Not me. I'm not going to take a Tell your neighbor, not me. And that neighbor that just said not me is the one that's speaking negative to you. It's still your fault because you're listening to that person. Oh, everybody likes to tell me everything. You know what? why everybody tells you everything? Because they can't find another trash can. Did that offend you? There's people that gloat. Just everybody calls me. They're telling me everything. And I, I guess they just struggle. No, no, no. They just can't find a big enough trash can than you. That's it. Because they know you're not going to pray with them. You, they know you're not going to correct them. They know you're not going to rebuke them. You're not going to bring them to their knees and say, you need to stop that. Let's pray about that situation. You're what? Brother, if it was me, I would never. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about, church. Those on social media, I know you're blushing. Some of you know this. I, I'm just the trustworthy guy here. No, you're just as big as trash can. That's all. Because they know you're no confrontation to the gossip. You're no confrontation to the negativity. There's nothing to feed from you that's going to give them life, so they'll come to you. You should boast on the fact that nobody tells you anything except maybe one or two because they want prayer. Not because it's the goodwill box. Pay attention. That's what happened to Adam. The Lord told him. He said, why did you do that, Adam? He said, well, she told me. He said, no, 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 it's because you listened to your wife and ate. You heard the junk. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't, man, you shouldn't listen to your wives. But I'm telling you, sweet, I'm, I'm, you understand my point. It's the negativity you're giving this to. You're giving into that stuff, and it's going to kill you. It'll turn you into a pillar of salt. So, you know the biggest lie of the devil in this that we have here that we all like to say sometimes? Sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the biggest lie. There are people bleeding today. And dying today and haven't recovered for years today because of something that came out of somebody's mouth. I'd rather somebody beat you up with a stick. You'll heal from the bruises. But when somebody speaks ugly to your heart and says you're an idiot, you're a fool, you're this, we don't want you, you're, you're poor, you're rich, you're this or the other. They break you and it'll take years, if at all, to heal from something like that. This is why the Lord calls you to pay attention to the good things, anything that is honorable and upright. And get away from the negativity. It's going to kill. It's killed a lot of Christians. This, can I say this? There's a lot of people in this church that are not here no more because they heard something. You know friends of yours are not friends of yours anymore because they heard something. They, they, you're, those of you who have youth groups, those of you who teach Sunday school, those of you who work in ministry know that people won't follow you anymore. They don't believe anything you're saying because they heard something. I'm talking to the devil right now. He hates what I'm saying to you right now. And I'm glad because I am teaching you to rebuke and reject the lies of the devil into your life. So therefore, pay attention. 
pay attention. When the angel of the Lord came to these people, they needed to pay attention and run. When they told them, don't look back, they needed to pay attention and not look back. Secondly, underestimate the power of sin. I'm running out of time. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Underestimate the power of sin. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 says, Take care, brethren, lest you should be in any one of you. I said, there, uh, Lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But I encourage you, one another day after day, as long as it is called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what people do today and some of us do today? We underestimate the power of sin. There's a saying I want you to remember. Sin will always take you where you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will take you where you don't want to go and it'll keep you there longer than you want to stay. There are people who have made mistakes in their lives that can outlive them after 10, 15 years. There's people who started doing something, let it be a drug. They said, I'll never be addicted to it. They underestimate the power of that drug and they're addicts living in the street today. There's people who get into adultery, people who get into lying, get stealing, and underestimating the grip and the power of that sin. And today they're in jail because they're adulterers, liars, cheaters, and thieves. Don't ever underestimate what sin can do to your life. Maybe Miss Lot, when she was running, she said, what could happen? I just want to see what happened. She underestimated the tug and the pull of God's word and how he destroyed that sin. The pull of the voices that maybe even called her back to look. You have to make a decision. All of us are susceptible to fall in the grip of that sin and never get out. It'll play a trick on you. It makes you think you're okay when you're not. It makes you think that all you have to do for an addiction or some ill practice is just do it once and, and you'll never do it again. It's exciting. That's the power and the deceitfulness of sin. The, alcohol, the alcoholic will say, I'll just take one drink and never stop. The smoker will say, the drug abuser will say, I'm just going to do this once and, and that's it. The thief, the liar, the adulterer, I'm just going to do it once and, and, and that's it. And it's destroyed families. It's destroyed lives. It's, it's turned people into pillars of salt because we underestimate the work that Satan is doing in this world. Pretty soon your heart will harden and by the time you know it, you'll fall away. And so much that counsel will not help you. See, many people say, well, God can always save me from everything. You know, there's a, time, there's a place and time when God can't do anything for you. Pastor, are you talking about the impossibilities of God? Yeah. You become so callous sometimes that God can't even reach you and will not. Let me give you this example. Thank God we have shoes here in America. Thank God we have asphalt roads. And normally they're pretty okay. Unless you live where I live. <laughs> Ill-spent taxes. But have you ever looked at foreign countries? And I'm, this is no insult to them, but this is just an observation of culture. A lot of people walk around the city streets and, without shoes. Yeah, you go to the eastern countries. A lot of people walk around without shoes. And the streets aren't asphalt. They're caliche. They're hard pebbles, rocks. And they're walking like nothing. Mom, kids, and everybody's jogging along, going to their H-E-B up there, getting their food, putting it on their shoulder, and going back and walking up and down. Now, let me ask you this. If I told you guys to take your shoes off and walk with me down a caliche road, how many would? Oh, 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 oh. You can't do it. You're not conditioned to, right? 
I'm making it elementary. I'm not talking to children. I understand that. But I want you to really understand this point. You see, you won't do it because your feet are soft. You're used to wearing shoes, as am I. The older I get, the more tender my feet are. I can't even walk on grass anymore. I have to be looking down. Come on. Anybody around my, that know what I'm talking about as you get older? You know, you see a little rock and, oh, dude, no. Because one little rocket, it'll send a shock all the way to the top of your head. Can you imagine walking down a rocky road? But some people do. Why? Because they're conditioned. And this is, I know, a bad analogy because I'm not talking about any kind of sin on their behalf. But I'm telling you that the work of sin is that way. At beginning, you'll walk through sin like this. Ooh, I'm still making it. I'm still moving. But soon enough, you'll be walking through sin like this. Like if you were wearing a brand new set of cowboy boots, man, right through sin, without any kind of conviction, without any kind of remorse, without any kind of concern, not caring what anybody says, not caring what, caring what the pastor says, not caring what your wife says, not caring what your children say, not caring they try to counsel you, you don't care. You're just cruising along a caliche, thorn-filled road. You're conditioned. You've underestimated the power of sin. It's going to kill you. You think that the cemeteries are full today with people who have died physically? I ask you to consider that there are more spiritual cemeteries filled with millions of people who have died at the hands of underestimating sin. And it'll get to the point, ladies and gentlemen, where no one can soften your feet up anymore. Oh, but God can do anything. No. Hebrews 6 says he can't. Argue with me. Hebrews says he can't. There comes a point when finding Jesus is going to be impossible for you the more you play with fire. Let me read this for the unbelievers. It is impossible Now, notice that this is the first few times in Scripture that the word impossible, when he speaks about Jesus, is spoken. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance. It's impossible. You can't help an individual that's so custom to live in their sin. There has to be a total disassembling and breaking of an individual. Is it why you have to have a train wreck to be able to wake you up, hopefully, to your senses to know that God is in control and wants you back? Why did this happen? I don't know why, Pastor. Where are you? God loves you. Enough to lasso you. Oh, but many of us are like Humpty Dumpty. Not Humpty Dumpty, but yeah, Humpty Dumpty, I think is his name. How many know that nursery rhyme? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses... You know what my question is? What is that ignorant egg doing on the fence? That's when I heard that nursery, I said, that was a dumb egg. What is that dumb egg doing on the fence? That's how Christians live today. A lot of Christians live like Humpty Dumpty. And you think you're not going to fall, but when you fall and listen to that nursery rhyme, there is spiritual truth. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't do a thing for that dumb egg. (laughs) Nothing. Oh, you know you love my preaching. You understand it, don't you? I'm speaking your language, aren't I not? Would you rather me talk to hither that with? (laughs) 
But that was my question. What is that dumb egg doing on the fence? Why he underestimated the fall. He thought, I'll get right up. If I fall, I'll jump right back on like I did yesterday. Nope. Sorry, my friend. And I close with this. I'm going over. The power of isolation. The power of isolation will kill you. Not necessarily isolation from places you should or shouldn't go, per se, vacationing areas. But isolation from the body of Christ. Thinking that you are some spiritual, heroic, lone ranger. None of us were designed to survive alone. None. This is why we're called the family of God. Let me give you some information. This is why we call him father. This is why we are addressed at times as the bride. This is why we're called a holy nation, a connected group of people. We were never called to live alone. Then you have the rebellious who say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian or to hear from God. That might be so, but you won't hear from him long, friend. I don't need to hear this old man yelling at my ear for an hour. No, no, you don't. You don't. But you certainly won't hear a whisper. See, I tried to whisper it for you when I started here 30 years ago. But now I have to yell at you. Because I see that sometimes you just don't get it. The Bible says, this is not a suggestion, this is a commandment. Hebrews 10 and 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together. I sometimes believe that if that family lot had stuck together as a family and walked together, encouraging each other, Mrs. Lot would have never turned back. If Lot had just kept hold of his wife arm to arm, said, baby, let's keep going, mama. Well, honey, but be quiet. Let's go. Let's go. Kids, hurry up. Grand on, grab my cloak. Don't you turn back. If they had kept it together, maybe she wouldn't have turned back. You see, fellowship, ladies and gentlemen, some of you are seasonal Christians. I only see you in Easter and in Christmas. How do you think you're going to survive on your own? You don't. The fact that you don't come to church proves my point. You come in after three or four months barely breathing. You want the church to go to five hours because you think you can remake five hours for the half of the year of church you missed. We're called not to ignore the attendance of us coming together, the forsaking of the assembly. Everyone who ever did, I promise you, is either just walking around numb as ever or even spiritually dead. God has provided us together as a family. I'm here this morning regardless of your opinion. I'm here to encourage you, man. I'm here to warn you. I'm not here to do you any favors. Don't ever confuse Pastor Soto with, oh, he really licks up our cheeks. No, I don't. No, no, no. I, I don't do stuff like that. You know why? Because heaven's too important to me. And this responsibility that God has, however long he'll have it for me, I'm responsible to remind you how important heaven is and how ugly hell is. I'm here to remind you every opportunity I have behind this pulpit to tell you that there's nothing back there for you.
nothing back there for you. I need you. And you need me. That's a fact. You may not want me, but you need me. Yeah. Somebody to smack you upside the leg, get you up. Somebody to encourage you when you're hurting. Somebody hug you to cry with. Someone to complain to if you have to. But we need each other. This woman died on her own. This woman was traveling by herself. So much that Mr. Lot kept going. By that time, he noticed his wife was not there anymore. I prayed for my friend. put his hands down and just stared at the ground. And I prayed that the Lord would somehow chisel away the cast around his body. And just like in the times of Ezekiel, that he would breathe life into those dead bones. Ladies and gentlemen, I pray none of us in this place are beginning to stiff around the knees. Our hands are beginning to get stiff. I pray in Jesus' name that our legs aren't beginning to get hard, that we can't bend anymore. That somehow this galvanizing, paralyzing, ugly, straying away of the Lord is getting us to a point where you can't move anymore. There's nothing back there for you. It was a sad day for Mrs. Lot. And I'm sure for Mr. Lot and the kids, when they got to their place, they said, and Mom, she's not with us any longer. And I'll tell you what, my heart breaks every time, ladies and gentlemen, when I hear and certainly when I saw my friend that he's not with us any longer. And we should feel that way. When you see someone beginning to paralyze, speak life into them. We need each other. They can't spend it alone. They can't make it alone. They need us. We all need each other. We need to love each other. We need to encourage each other. Whenever you're hurting, you need to be honest and say, would you pray for me? This morning, ladies and gentlemen, as I close, I need a prayer. I came in broken. I cried last night stuff going on in my life and this morning I couldn't shake it off I, I came in early this morning around 7 o'clock and I sat at my office and I prayed and I, I said man devil get off me man and a couple of brothers that always go with me to see how I'm doing came by and I said hey man pray for me and they did and I raised my hands and I gave it to the Lord. This is why I'm able to stand here this morning. But just like you, my heart breaks. My body hurts. Sometimes I wrestle in my mind with difficulties and trials that we're going through. And for me to come up here and look at you and say, Ta-da! How's everybody doing? And let the circus begin. Ta-da, ta-da-da. Sometimes I can't even get myself to smile. But I still know in spite of all of that, that there's nothing back there for me. You may be going through stuff in your life today. You may be doing something premeditatedly today. Stop it. There's nothing back there for you except doom and destruction. You're going to die. Those of you on social media who refuse to come to church, just those, I know many of you can't. Don't get all hurt. You need to shake that ugly spirit off. Get up and come to church. COVID is long gone. Nobody believes that lie anymore. 
This thing came to hurt you, the church. It came to bite the ankles, the Achilles of your ankles and your walk with God. And you've proven it faithful because you can't get up. You're freezing. You're a pillar of salt. Can't get yourself to get dressed and come to church and worship. It's a different environment when you come into the house of God. On Wednesdays, I normally go to my office and I watch the service there because I like to watch if it's being audible and heard. And I'm watching the preacher. I'm watching last Wednesday. We had a wonderful graduation service. Great word of God. I, I was listening. But something happened to me specifically. And let me say this as I ask you to stand. I was sitting in my office listening to the service, and I was hearing the preacher speak, and, and, and I, I saw the service, and, I, and I'm there, and everything, I, I felt it was good. the service was good, and, and sometimes I long for it, and I just come back. But this specific time, I really needed to come back, and I came back, and when I walked into that hallway from the sanctuary and inside, it, it's kind of like, you know, when, when you're in a plane and your ears are plugged, and all of a sudden you yawn and go, Pukoon! And everything holds up and then you hear audibly, you hear clearly. That's what happened to me spiritually when I walked in Wednesday. I walked in and I went, wow, there is a difference. See, TV doesn't cut it. Social media, thank you for watching. Those of you traveling who can't come to church and have to work, that's okay. Let me speak to you just for a second. Listen, if you're able to come to church, let me just tell you, TV doesn't cut it. TV doesn't cut it. It's not good enough. I, we know there's no distance for God, and we know all the things, the right things to say. We know God can find you right where you're at, but it doesn't cut it. You see, this is something he established. He wanted you to come here so that you could feel a different vibe. You could feel something different, and I promise you, in the house of God, it's always different. Can I have somebody say amen? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.